Hey, welcome back to Sunday Replay and welcome to the season of Lent. The 40 days plus Sundays leading up to Easter when we evaluate, reflect on, and remember the work and life of Jesus leading up to his death and resurrection. I'm really, really excited to be in this season as we contemplate the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And today, Pastor Mark is sharing about healing hands and courageous hearts from Mark 2 verses 1 through 12 and chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Here's Pastor Mark with the beginning of our new series called Good News. Good morning, one and all. It's so good to see you today here in person, as well as those online. Hello, and to our Sunday podcast listeners. And today we begin a new sermon series that is entitled, Good News, the Gospel of Mark. And during this series, outside of next week's special Soul Food Sunday, a combined worship service, what we're going to do is delve into the rich narrative of this earliest gospel account and explore its meaningful insights and its challenging, oh, there's some challenging teachings in this, as well as its timeless truths and its profound relevance that's in our lives today. Oh, one other thing I'd like to mention, and it's actually a challenge for all of us, is I, during this Lenten season is we're encouraging everyone to read the Gospel of Mark. It's only 16 chapters long. And each Sunday, even making it more special, is what we're doing is the sermons at both of our campuses will, we're going to be taking different Scripture passages of Mark and thereby able to provide a greater understanding of this gospel account. So, I encourage you that whatever I'm preaching on, give a listen also to what Hollywood is saying because they're taking a whole different Scripture passage on this, during this series. Well, this morning, Harmony, in the first message of this series, Healing Hands and Courageous Hearts, what we're going to be doing is incorporating not just one Scripture passage. No, we're tackling two today. And so, we're looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And these two stories, what they are, are part of uh, what is known as the five controversy stories. And that starts at chapter 2, verse 1, and it goes all the way to chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, and it underscores Jesus' authority as well as the beginnings of His conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes. So, as we enter this very first story, for a few days, Jesus has been ministering to those in need on uh, nearby villages. And now He's returned to Capernaum. And uh, Capernaum is a town, and it's on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. And word is beginning, it's beginning to spread like wildfire uh, among the population. And that means that more and more people, what they're doing is, is they're now it's like, hey, I'm, I'm starting to get interested in this guy, this guy and what he, Jesus and what he's saying and what he's doing. And now, what I'd like you to do is imagine this scene. Are you ready? Imagine this scene. This is a humble abode, and it's probably not all that big. It's fairly small, and folks around the country they, and around this, uh, the land, they've heard about this great physician, and, and he's at this residence. He's in Capernaum at this residence, and this is the guy. He has healing powers. Oh, my goodness. He's been teaching with authority. We got to go. And so, packed around Jesus is this standing room only crowd. You can't squeeze your way through. But now there's these four guys, 
and they're carrying a paralyzed man on a stretcher, and they can't get through, so they've they got to figure out, all right, well, what are we going to do? And so they get resourceful. And so I'm figuring, because they say, we got to get up on the roof. And what I'm thinking is, is there's either a stairway on the side of this abode, or there's a ladder. Now, as they do this, again, imagine this, they are straining because they've got to lift this man on a pallet as they're going up to the roof. Now, can you see the perspiration that's coming down their faces? Can you hear their heavy breathing? And so then once they're on top of the roof, they start digging. they got to dig, and so they're digging what through is most likely reeds. Uh, there's this matting of, uh, of uh, branches, and then they're digging through dried mortar. And then there's this cascading. So now you're inside, and there's this cascading roof debris. Can you hear it coming down? And so as he's lowered in front of this crowd and he's coming down, imagine the look on his face, the paralyzed man, very determined, intense. And then there's Jesus amongst all of this, and he's probably clearing his throat and rubbing the dust out from his eyes. All right, well, this, this guy, what was the cause of his paralysis? Well, we don't know. We have no clue. Yet back in the time, sin and suffering were connected. And so for those who were Jewish, they had been taught by the religious authorities that a sick person, a sick person was someone with whom God was angry. Now I'm reflecting on this passage and I wondered, I, I was thinking about this, this man who's being told over and over again and again, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And that believing this, that it's this very thought that Maybe it brought about his paralyzed condition as a consequence. And because if you know, if you believe something uh, uh, strong enough, it's possible. Because the mind is, it's a very powerful tool. And there are times when it can, oh my goodness, it can lead us down some really dark, scary, terrifying rabbit holes. And there before Jesus is this paralyzed man on a stretcher. But where does Jesus' focus go? Up. It goes to the roof because he's looking at this open section up in the roof. And what does he see? He sees the four men. Then this is when Jesus sees the faith of the four unnamed friends, not the faith of the paralyzed man. Indeed, the actions of these friends have displayed a deep sense of care and support and concern while also demonstrating their unwavering faith and sacrificial service. And in this moment, there's hope with anticipation. These four individuals believed in Jesus' miraculous power to heal. And out of their love, they were willing to go to whatever lengths is necessary that healing can happen. Their friend, one who's been stigmatized by society, faith community, what we're witness to here is a reminder that true friendship entails a willingness to bear another's burdens, that to intercede for us to intercede on behalf of our friends who are in need and to believe in the possibility of transformation even in the bleakest of circumstances. Well, what does verse 5 tell us? Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, child, your sins are forgiven. In other words, child, God isn't angry with you. 
How do you think the crowd reacted to that? I think there was this big collective, whoa, whoa, and then dead silence. Why the dead silence? Because of those among in the throng of people were scribes, and these were individuals and religious men who were authorized and ordained in the interpretation of Torah law. And for them, Jesus just went against the Torah law. For Jesus to have said what he did right then and there, it had to have come of a shock. The scribes are like, what is he doing? Because this was essential in Judaism that only God can forgive sins. For a human to do so, that's blasphemy. And you know the penalty for blasphemy? It's death, stoning by death, death by stoning. But Jesus, Jesus is no dummy. No, he knows exactly what he's doing. He sits there and he, he sees them thinking and muttering to themselves. So what he does is he flings down a challenge to meet them on, on their own ground. And he says this, which is easier, to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your bed, and walk. But so you will know that the human one has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take your mat, and go home. Here's a twist. Given all of this, is this story's central focus about healing, or is it about forgiveness? Or uh, is it about how one is healed through forgiveness, reconciled with God? Or is it about Jesus being God incarnate, uh, asserting divine authority to forgive sins through His words and actions? Or is it just a moment providing Jesus with an opportunity to, I don't know, further teach about His identity and mission? Well, how about all of this and more? Well, one thing for sure is with these scribes, they're baffled. And they've got some baffled rage going on, and it's not pretty. And then with verse 12, we are told, Jesus raised him up, and right away he picked up his mat and walked out in front of everybody, and they were all amazed and praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, I want you to note that. Look at that, where it says, they were all amazed and praised God. All means all, including Jesus' critics. Now, can you see the sense of all that might have been rippling through that mass of, of, of men and, this, and everyone there? Because here's a man that was once paralyzed, and now he's walking through the crowd with his mat as though he's parting the Red Sea. Oh, gosh, the gratitude and the joy that had to have been enthusiastically just lifted up. Two other quick points I want to make about this before we head into the second story is, did you notice that the paralytic didn't do anything in response to his sins being forgiven? Not one thing. I'm just saying. And on the other thing that I want to point out here of importance is forgiveness of sins and physical healing, they're not always directly uh, connected in every biblical healing account which then leads us into chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And in this passage, which I hope you'll reread, um, Jesus has returned now to the synagogue that's in Capernaum on the Sabbath, no less. And you have to understand that this is very courageous on his part. 
Um, and inside, inside the synagogue, sitting at the very front seats, uh, because these are seats of honor, are members of the Sanhedrin, and so these are the guardians of the orthodoxy. And it was their duty to deal with anyone who's likely to mislead the people and seduce them from following the right way as they have interpreted it. And also in the synagogue is a man who has a withered hand. Now, the Greek word that is used in this passage to describe this withered hand is this man hasn't been born this way, but it's some illness that has taken away his strength from his hand. So, you see the connection is we have paralysis in both of these passages that we're covering this morning. And by the way, just so you know, the gospel according to the Hebrews, now this is a gospel that is lost except for a few fragments, actually tell us about this man, that this man was a stonemason. Mm. So his livelihood was in his hands. Now I'm going to reiterate that this is the Sabbath day, and by Torah law, all work is forbidden, and also healing. That's considered work. But only if a life was in danger, and now we're talking about a narrow set of circumstances, could medical attention be given to a person. And so this man, was, was his life in danger, this, this man with the withered hand? No? No, exactly. I mean, we, you know, we could just deal with this tomorrow, the next day. However, for Jesus, this is a test case. And he asked the man to step up so the people can see you. Hmm. And then Jesus asks two questions of the experts in the law. And he says, is it legal to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath day? Is it lawful to save a life or to kill it on the Sabbath day? Crickets. They didn't answer him. Why not? Because maybe they just didn't want to acknowledge the validity of what Jesus is trying to get across. Or maybe it was because these experts were unable to justify their strict interpretation of the Sabbath law in this context. And so by challenging the rigid, rigid legalism of the religious establishment, Jesus is emphasizing the priority of mercy over the adherence of rules. And in response to their unyielding hearts, He heals this man's hand and it is made healthy. Jesus' actions remind us that true faith, true faith requires courage. The courage to challenge injustice, the courage to stand up for what is right, and the courage to embody the love and compassion of God even in the face of adversity and opposition. The irony here, oh, there's irony, because on that Sabbath day, when religious interpreters stated, they stated to Jesus, it's illegal to heal someone, thereby he was doing something good, that the Pharisees go to plot with those considered unclean as they were supporters of Herod, and again, this is happening on the Sabbath, a plan to kill Jesus. Wow. I'm going to share a quote by Bishop uh, Michael B. Curry, the first African-American to serve as presiding bishop in the Episcopal Church, and then I'm going to close with just a few more words before we have an Our Story conversation with Dr. Larry Hyde, Jr. There's power in love to help and heal when nothing else can. 
There's power in love to lift up and liberate when nothing else will. And there's power in love to show us the way to live. Friends, what this quote does is it reminds us there's power in love. But this is not just any kind of love. We're talking about agape love. Agape is the highest form of love, a sacrificial love that seeks the well-being and benefit of others without expecting anything in return, a love in which we show kindness and generosity and forgiveness and compassion. And don't all of us need this kind of love in our lives so that we experience the newness of life? Well, this week as we reflect further on these passages, let us be inspired by the example of Jesus whose healing hands and compassionate and courageous heart continue to beckon us to a life of faith and justice. May we, like the friends of this paralyzed man, demonstrate an unwavering faith and sacrificial love in our relationships and communities. And may we, like Jesus, challenge the status quo and advocate for the marginalized and oppressed. And may we, empowered by the Holy Spirit, become instruments of peace, of healing, of reconciliation and transformation in this broken and hurting world. Amen? Amen. It's time for the Sunday Replay Halftime Show, where every week we share a few moments of opportunities that you have to connect with the Harmony Faith community. This week on Thursday, the 22nd of February, our Gospel of Mark Bible Study group is not meeting, but you still have an opportunity to engage with the Book of Mark because during this Lent season, we're encouraging everyone at Harmony to read through the Book of Mark. It's a really short book, shorter than most of the books you probably read at home, whether you read fiction or nonfiction, historical books, you know, whatever you're reading, uh, those books tend to be longer than the Book of Mark. It's a pretty short book and you can definitely get through it in the next 40 days. So I would encourage you to continue reading through the book of Mark this week, but don't worry about gathering with us for the Gospel of Mark Bible study. If you want to learn more about how you can be involved in the Bible study after February 22nd, you can contact Pastor Mark and his email is markmark at hollywoodumc.org. Also, on February 25th, we're celebrating Soul Food Sunday, which is a combined service at our Hollywood campus. So on the 25th of February, 2024, don't come to the Harmony campus because we won't be meeting in person. Instead, join us just over the hill at the Hollywood campus at 11 a.m. That's a slight time change, but we'll have a joint worship service followed by lunch for Soul Food Sunday. If you want to learn more about what's going to be happening that day, you can contact senior pastor, Kathy Cooper Ledesma, and her email is RevKathy, that's R-E-V-K-A-T-H-Y, at HollywoodUMC.org. This week on the Harmony Podcast Network, we have a new episode of Inner Harmony focusing on the question, how big is your God? So be sure to tune into that coming out this Wednesday as it does every first and third Wednesday of the month. Now for the second half of today's episode of Sunday Replay, we're having an Our Story conversation with Larry High, who you might remember participated in a conversation with Pastor Mark in November about the budget, but now he's here to share about his faith journey. So here's Pastor Mark with Larry. We have a special guest today, Dr. Larry High Jr. 
And there are so many, Lord have mercy, we could just keep on going with the titles and everything about Larry. Uh, but the one key element is uh, Larry is a representative and chair of the governance board for the whole of Hollywood United Methodist Church. So thank you for your service in that. And Larry, extensive resume, we won't go into it. Because I want to dive into the questions right away. Are you ready? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Did you know Larry's a foodie? Yeah? Okay. Well, I'm giving him a softball question here because we all love good food, don't we? Yes. So, Larry, what is your favorite food? And, and very importantly, what restaurant would you recommend us all to go to? This is actually a hard one. I would say my favorite <laughs> is Mexican food, but I eat anything. Uh, uh, restaurants, I was thinking about this this week. Uh, it just depends on what it is. In my neighborhood, I live in Pasadena, so in my neighborhood, uh, things that I like are like High Life Burger. They have a good tuna melt. Uh, I like yuccas from Mexican. Uh, there's a place in Highland Park called Gold Burger. Uh, they have an L.A. special with pastrami on it. My favorite Italian is over Los Feliz. Uh, uh, soul food? Soul food. Uh, my house. I could. Oh, we're going to have to have a party at Larry's now. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> oh, we're loving. Mm. Um, so you come from a religious family. I do come from a very religious family, I uh -huh. would say. And so uh, just describe that for us, this, your religious upbringing. I would say my religious upbringing is definitely a, uh, I'm a, I always tell folks I'm a product of the black church, and so uh, I have been a lifelong United Methodist, a fifth generation Methodist. My mother is Methodist, uh, and that side of my family uh, since slavery, and then my father is a Baptist, and my mother and father have been married for, I think, almost going on 52 years, uh, but they grew up in the same town that we grew up in, and so they never joined the same church, and so uh, we go to the Methodist, and we go to the Baptist, when we'd have to say Christmas and Easter speeches at both, and then we went to Catholic school. Uh, Whoa run by black nuns uh, out of New Orleans. And so I also had to go to uh, mass every uh, Tuesday and Thursday uh, morning. But I would say the one component is just the, uh, the liberation theology that God is on this side of the oppressed and the poor. Uh, and then also uh, just uh, uh, the community activism uh, in the black church and just learning everything. Uh, uh, the black church, I would say, is the corner of our communities. And so uh, learning everything from just how to speak, talk, uh, we learn etiquette, we learned Robert's Rules of Order. Uh, there was no children's church, so you had to sit in church and you had to act right or you got it when you got home. Oh, uh, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but a very black, very, very black church experience. Mm, and uh, Marshall, Texas, right? Marshall, Texas, uh, yes. which is about 30 minutes from Shreveport, Louisiana, very northeast uh, Texas historic town. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, hotbed for the Confederacy, but then we also have a uh, historic black uh, population. The uh, first college for black folks west of the Mississippi, Wiley University, which is a United Methodist institution, uh, is there. And then we have a whole bunch of other prominent uh, folks from uh, Marshall. So with this amazing religious uh, upbringing, and wow, that's sort of head-spinning, Methodist, Baptist, and Catholic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> covering all the bases. All the bases. <laughs> <laughs> who, if you can remember, who was the first person who created a memory of God for you? You know, I, I don't remember that I, growing up in the church and being around religious folks, I don't necessarily remember the first time. I will say my parents definitely, uh, uh, I don't know what y'all had on your bedroom walls as children, but my parents put Bible verses on our bedroom walls, and my mother is a fourth grade teacher, so in big, uh, big, uh, 
bulletin board letters. Uh, mine was Philippians 4, th- 4.13, I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, both parents always kneeled by the bedside to pray, and they still do, and taught us to kneel. Uh, if you come to my house, uh, before you touch any morsel of food, whether it be three people or 30 people in the room, everybody has to say a Bible verse. And it's uh, going to have to be a different Bible verse. It has to be a different Bible verse, Woo! and you can't say Jesus wept unless you're three. Uh, <laughs> 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 so you got you to, gotta, everybody knows when they come to my mother, you got to say a Bible verse. And if like we're extended family, uh, there's usually a collective prayer of some sort that's usually by the senior person. Uh, but mm-hmm. they'll tell you, you got to pray and you got to pray. Like there is no like, oh, you got to pray. But then everybody in the room is going to say a Bible verse. Mm. Uh, but I would say also too, I've been blessed that I grew up with uh, grandparents. So I had uh, grandmothers, grandfathers, great-grandmothers. Uh, my great-grandmother lived to be 99, died when I was in high school, and so I have that wisdom, uh, great extended family. So it's been a, um, uh, it's, the, it's the whole village, and so they were all uh, people of deep faith. Mm. Love it. And you had to go to church. You had to go to church every Sunday, uh, especially if you were out. You had to go to church. You, had, you were out Saturday. You went to church on Sunday. Uh, there was no staying in bed. There was no staying in bed, so I, I have no <laughs> idea what... Uh, all these kids do now, because like if you went out, well, you even if you didn't go, you had to go to church. Uh, you had to be in somebody's church uh, somewhere in Marshall, Texas, uh, doing mm. something. Mm. So, um, when you think of God uh, now, what picture comes to mind for you? Hmm. That's always been a hard concept for me, just to think of. Uh, God and what God, I would say, looks like, because uh, mm. uh, we were always taught that God is inside you, and we're all created in the image of God, and so, like, if you look around this room, we all look different, so that's been a harder concept for me, I would say, uh, knowing how, uh, what Jesus would more than likely look like is not uh, the images that I necessarily grew up with, even in my black church uh, that was founded in, I believe, 1867, uh, even in the uh, the the, the the worship area is a big white Jesus, and they built this church in the 50s, and so uh, yeah. big stained glass window, uh, uh, not blonde hair, blue eye, but fairly uh, fair skin uh, with brown hair, and so knowing what, we know, knowing what I know now, that, you know, that's not what Jesus would look like, uh, being from that region uh, of the world, uh, and, but that is somebody's image of Jesus, and so mm-hmm. I don't discount that. Uh, but uh, the image of God is just a hard concept of, for me to think about. So I think that God looks like whoever you want, whoever you want God to be to you. Mm. Uh, so for you, God, what does God embody? Think, think about hmm. that. Hmm. I think about just uh, God embodies uh, love and. Uh, uh, God embodies strength, and God is with us when uh, mm-hmm. things are going great, and God is still with us when things are going bad. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, God just embodies and encompasses, I would say, the whole of creation and everything that we do and uh, our whole being, uh, um, for me, belongs to God. And so God is always with us. God is always with us. God is always with us. So with God always being with you, all of us, but with you how have you, have you ever experienced God's presence in your life? Well, I would say definitely all the time, all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, when, uh, when things are going my way and I get great news, uh, I praise God. I would say 2023 was a difficult year for me just in uh, losing uh, 
losing death, a lot of death. Like one of my best friends since first grade, we went from first grade all the way through college together. We were a trio of us and she passed away from breast cancer. Uh, my um, uh, campus minister passed away. He had an early onset of Parkinson's. I've had several relatives that passed away. So it's been a, 2023 was a difficult year. Uh, just some of the uh, folks who have been instrumental in my life passed away. Uh, but I still, in the midst of all of that, uh, felt uh, God's presence. So uh, like my friend who had breast cancer, uh, she told us when she was diagnosed in June, and by uh, and we thought she was getting better. She thought she was getting better, and then by March uh, she was gone. Um, but even in the mid and at 47, you know, uh, uh, you know, I still think we're young, and so I still think we're not supposed to be dying uh, at. At, uh, in mm -hmm. our mid-40s. We're not supposed, our parents are all aging. We're not supposed to be taking care of parents. Mm -hmm. But even in the midst of this all, uh, God is still with us. Yes. Um, so I know you well enough uh, that you have a routine. You start your day early. I do. Yes. <laughs> what time do you typically wake up? Between 4.45 and 5 a.m. Yes. <laughs> so he's starting early. But it's and not our God, just... We have an early morning God, too. What is that? We have an early morning God. Oh, yes. Because early, early on the third day. <laughs> <laughs> so God is early morning, too. <laughs> All-encompassing and early morning. <laughs> so you just don't wake up and go, okay, coffee, I'm hitting the road. No, you have a routine, don't you? I do. I do. I do. So what's your, what's your routine in regards to uh, your spiritual growth? Okay. I start the day, uh, when I open my eyes, I say, thank you, God, because uh, that's who gave me the breath and put the activity of, uh, uh, as the old folks say, in my limbs. And so uh, I, I thank God. And then I read from a devotional, even before I, usually before I even get out of the bed, uh, the Upper Room Disciplines, uh, which is the United Methodist devotional. It follows what's called the lectionary text, the text that Christians all around the world read, and a different person writes each week. And so I read from that devotional. That takes about five minutes. Uh, I'm doing a Lenten devotional right now, too, which takes about another five to ten minutes. Uh, uh, that Linton devotional, by the way, I just got it yesterday, so I've started. What is it? Uh, Struggle to the Cross uh, by Bishop Sharma Lewis. A good uh, devotional for you to download, I would say, if you want to do something for 40 days mm -hmm. uh, during this Lenten season. Uh, I then get out of bed, and then uh, two days a week from 5.45 to 6.30, I go to boot camp, which is outdoors, and so we get to see the sunrise and all of God's beauty. Uh, on, I'm a college professor on the days that I commute to campus. I usually go to Compton to the gym and work out, and I'll do some Zumba or uh, run on the treadmill or do some elliptical or something, but I get some exercise in uh, at least five days a week. Um, and uh, on my commuting days, I usually listen to some of my favorite pastors from across the country, the sermon, and I'm a huge fan of gospel music. So I listen to gospel music, too, uh, in the car, like old gospel music, uh, Andre Crouch, Shirley Caesar, those oh, types, yes. the, the old seasoned yeah. saints. And then yeah. uh, I like worship artists like William Murphy and um, uh, Marvin Sapp. And so it's either uh, usually at least twice a week a sermon and uh, gospel music of some mm -hmm. sort in the car. Yes. And you fit in. An integrity. I yeah. do. Oh, uh, every other Wednesday, we do integrity Bible study. I invite you to join us at 7 a.m. <laughs> on Zoom. So 7 a.m. on Zoom. Uh, 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 so we explore Wesley's uh, questions. Uh, uh -huh. John Wesley, our Methodism's founder, some questions. So do you find that, uh, well, it, it has to in some way, your faith and your spiritual values, do they intersect in, in work at all? 
in oh. sort of, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I always tell folks I'm a lay person. That means I'm not ordained, but uh, uh, everything that we do, even as lay people, it should be about the glory of God. And so as a college professor in a state institution, uh, I am still doing God's work. I know that, that that's ministry, uh, serving 87% uh, people of color, a population that is probably 60% uh, first-generation college students and a lot that live in poverty. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, always tell them, you know, basically I'm trying to help you become good communications professionals, uh, but I also want you to be good human beings who care about others uh, and somebody outside of uh, yourself. And so uh, I see the work as life-changing for myself, but then also uh, I always tell my students, um, you, uh, I believe education is the great equalizer. No matter what nobody tells you about going to college nowadays, as a person of color, you need to go to school. That is the great equalizer. And you not only uh, help to um, make life better for yourself, but for your family for generations to come. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And so uh, I see that that is ministry. Uh, also, my favorite passage of scripture is um, Psalm 27, which at the beginning says that the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Mm -hmm. But then it ends with, uh, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so uh, I try to wake up every day and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And some days it's a challenge. It is a huge <laughs> challenge. Uh, uh, but uh, just to think about uh, when I get in the car for my drive, when I arrive on campus, uh, whether I'm meeting with folks in the community uh, to see the goodness. And if you can't see the goodness, figure out how you're going to be the goodness or make it happen uh, in mm -hmm. wherever you find yourself. Yes. So uh, in your life, not, not everything is like this, right? Mm -mm. No. You, you have some areas to work on, oh, yeah. just like all of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness yeah. is a big one. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my strong point. <laughs> but we're working on we're it. We're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, next to last question. Um, if you were engaging in a conversation about with someone about your faith that doesn't know about church or Jesus or the Methodist church, is, is there anything that, I mean, what would you say? You know, just talk about, um, uh, it depends upon what it is. So, like, I'm on a panel discussion next week uh, with Supervisor Holly Mitchell that they're hosting on campus, and we're going to talk about implicit bias in the media. So, that, that there are very specific things about implicit bias and how folks are represented and seen in the media. But for me, it's a faith uh, issue because uh, we are all created in God's image. And so, mm -hmm. the images that you see, whether they be in media or us uh, together, uh, we are created in God's image. So I talk about even on that platform, I will be talking about being a person of faith. And so seeing uh, the diversity, the beauty uh, of all, all folks, um, uh, I'll tell my students and uh, I don't explicitly necessarily talk about faith, but they know that I go to church and I'm a person of faith. So uh, I'll have students tell me like, Professor, you know, I don't do that church stuff. I know you do. Uh, grandmama's sick or somebody, I'm having this issue. Uh, send up a prayer for me. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so just even, uh, I would want to be a walking example. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I hope that I am to, to live out and show what I believe versus... Uh, I'm not one of those big proselytizers and like, hey, you going to hell and da-da-da-da. No, you know, uh, 
if I believe Jesus and I believe Jesus' teachings, that ought to uh, uh, show up in the way that I act towards you and the others who are around me, um, in the decisions that I make when we're sitting talking about public policy and how we engage with students and fair, not fair, et cetera. All of that should come forth uh, and show uh, what I believe through my actions versus uh, what I say. But I'll have a, a full-on faith discussion if you want to uh, have one. Uh, uh, I'm comfortable with folks on all ends of the theological spectrum because uh, mm -hmm. uh, I learned Bible. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you want to do Bible, we can do Bible too. Like, uh, uh, but like we're going to explore, like, what does that really mean? What, is, uh, 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 what does that say to us now in our current context? Uh, yeah, and, and you're... Uh, foundational theological perspective is liberation theology, mm -hmm. yes? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, as we wrap up, I've got one last question for you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then you can catch Larry on a further discussion uh, later on the Our Story podcast. It'll be in a few months. So we look forward to that. Larry and I get to sit down. And I'm a communications person who interviews people, but I hate being interviewed. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely hate it. So, <laughs> so uh, among the other things, the many facets that are you, you love to travel. I do. Just like me. Oh, yeah. And you are about to check off the final state in the United States, Idaho. Idaho. Yeah, having done travel all 50. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, of all the journeys worldwide that you've taken, now this is this is just probably as tough for you as like asking mm -hmm. about the food question. What's the most memorable trip that you've taken to date? To date, <laughs> it is hard. It's hard. Uh, it's extremely hard. I always wanted to go to Australia as a child, so I did that in 2007. Did uh, Melbourne, Sydney, Hayman Island. Uh, but then I would also say memorable would be uh, the first time uh, going to the African continent and uh, with the United, Meth United Methodist-sponsored uh, trip uh, and just landing on the continent knowing this is where my people came from. I don't know where because I've never done one of those DNA tests, but uh, this is where uh, my folks originated uh, from. Uh, but looking forward to going back there, and just, uh, I've been about 31 countries, uh, and I still only, I have one continent, it's, Idaho is the last state, I have one continent left, which is Antarctica, oh, which I plan yes. on doing for my 50th birthday in two years, and so uh, we're going to check that off the list, too, so if y'all want to go to Antarctica, I'm going to plan a trip, we're going to get some penguins, see some penguins, <laughs> selfies, <laughs> icebergs. I may have to go with you, I'll carry your bags, come, come on, on now. Come on, That's on my list, that's on my list. It costs a pretty penny, though. I know. Oh, got to save the money now. And I oh. want to go on a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to thank Larry for sharing in this Our Story conversation. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sunday Replay. This week's guests were Pastor Mark Stevenson and Larry High. This episode was produced by Donna Miller and hosted by me, Jace Lucas. Sunday Replay is a part of the Harmony Podcast Network from Harmony to Luca Lake, a campus of Hollywood United Methodist Church. Check us out on Facebook at HarmonyTL or on Instagram at Harmony underscore TLC. We'd really appreciate it if you could like, rate, comment, subscribe, download, and share this episode with a friend. And then join us again next week for another installment of this series, Good News. But until then, as Pastor Mark always likes to say, peace.